Hey, once again, good morning, uh, Amokyo family, Amokyo body. Today we complete the trilogy of sermons on the spiritual gifts in our First Corinthians pulpit series. A very quick recap in case you missed the earlier two sermons. First Corinthians 12 teaches about the different spiritual gifts coming from the same Holy Spirit and that everyone plays an equally important part in the body of Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 then emphasized that these spiritual gifts must be exercised in a loving manner, for it is God's enduring love which will displace our selfish, self-centered, showy spirituality. And so 1 Corinthians 14 picks up on the most important spiritual gift of all, the so-called sesame bun on top of the hamburger, right? So it's a very long passage, 1 Corinthians 14. So I'll just read a few verses and then reference the rest of them along the way. Beginning at verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in the tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in the tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. <clears throat> what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation? We have verse 26. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Baba God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us afresh, as in the day of Pentecost. The task of evangelism remains challenging and so we desperately need your Holy Spirit's empowerment so that we may be filled with boldness to witness to Jesus Christ. Let signs and wonders, prophecies and a full array of spiritual gifts be given to us, Lord, even as we always abide in and express your everlasting, enduring love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, last week, I shared how my wife and I received uh, prophetic words about children even before they were conceived. I also shared <clears throat> how we had to cling on to the prophetic words by faith, and it gave us hope when reality disappointed us over and over again, and how in the midst of doubts, we were assured of God's enduring love. What I didn't share, however, was how the, the first prophetic vision was subsequently confirmed and affirmed several times by other Christians on several other occasions. In particular, the gender of the second child was revealed directly to me by God one day while I was journaling. I still remember that day quite vividly because it was the first and 
really the only one so far in all my 10 years of journaling that God's Spirit came upon me so strongly that I couldn't stop writing. And so to my surprise, I found myself writing, you will have a daughter and she shall be a mighty princess. So God revealed my daughter's gender to me way before the conception took place and later on also prophesied by two others on separate occasions. And then this was eventually confirmed by the doctors. So while this is a case of clearly you know, successful prophecies at work, I have to say too that I have my fair share of giving and receiving prophecies that did not <clears throat> or have yet to come to pass. So I don't want us to have this picture that is always successful. No, <clears throat> it's a journey of growth and learning. And sometimes we do get it wrong. And so for the church to start desiring and moving in the spiritual gift of prophecy, we need one important rule to safeguard us when it comes, when it comes to discerning all prophecies. Apostle Paul wrote in verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and others, others, everyone else in the faith community should weigh carefully what is being said. In other words, the safeguard is the faith community. We must corporately discern if a word is indeed from the Lord or not. In addition, I must caution that it is not wise at all to take one single prophecy and then stake our entire lives around that one prophecy. Prophecies from God usually have confirmations, affirmations. Even Jesus' birth was prophesied and confirmed by so many prophets over centuries. So due to the lack of time, I will not teach on the practical aspects of giving and receiving prophecies today. But just remember this one point, don't stake your entire life on one prophecy. That's too dangerous. Our lives instead should always be centered upon the Word of God. The Word of God must always take central place. Prophecies encourage us, encourage our faith, but they do not replace the Word of God, the centrality of God's Word in our lives. Importantly, this spiritual gift of prophecy, as we have learned in 1 Corinthians 13, must always be exercised in enduring love, unconditional love for brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> Again, time does not permit me <clears throat> to go into all of this teaching. I normally do this teaching at Tracker's program for the young people, six-hour session, including the practical training, but I only have 30 minutes. So let's move on. God willing, hopefully we have time uh, during uh, when the COVID situation eases to have more hands-on practical training. Now, having laid the basic ground rule, my purpose today is to help all of us see from 1 Corinthians 14 that prophecy is biblical, that prophecy is beneficial. And finally, prophecy is better than all the other spiritual gifts, as Apostle Paul writes. So first of all, prophecy is biblical. I hope some of you had time to watch the additional material I put out uh, last week on why we Methodists do not believe that supernatural spiritual gifts have ceased. You see, one key reason <clears throat> is that if we stop exercising prophetic gifts, some Bible passages will have become completely obsolete because there's just no way to apply them in our lives i just give you two clear examples. Romans 12, verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now, if there are no spiritual, or sorry, prophetic gifts at work today, how can we prophesy in accordance to our faith? And how can we not treat prophecies with contempt if there were no prophecies at all in the first place? In fact, almost the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, 
cannot be applied and obeyed if prophecies have completely ceased. <clears throat> Just take verses 1 and 39, for example, where Paul clearly instructs us to eagerly pursue the spiritual gift of prophecy. If it has already ceased, how can we apply this entire chapter then? And so, importantly, I want to remind all of us that the prophetic vision <clears throat> of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, which was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost and quoted by Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, is still at work. Joel chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both male and women, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I don't know about you, but for me, the canonization of the Bible did not usher in a completely new creation. No. The last time I checked, sin is still prevalent in our world, in my life, and certainly the last days haven't concluded. Instead, we continue to live in these last days. And therefore, God's promise to pour out His Spirit on all people in order that they may prophesy still stands. We are still living in this era of that promise, the fulfillment of that promise. So I hope it's abundantly clear to everyone that the gift of prophecy is thoroughly biblical and we should still expect it to work in our lives, in our world, in our church today. Second point, and maybe I can bring in the third point as well, prophecy is beneficial and better. Now here's a picture I want to show all of you. Now this prophetic drawing was given to me by a member of Cain Hill Methodist Church. Her name is Audrey Pang. As part of our training to equip Christian ministry staff who work in our Methodist schools, Pastor William Sam, the former pastor here at Amokyo, invited Audrey to equip us in this area of prophetic drawing. It's not so. It's just not just seeing that vision, but begin to draw it out as well. So she has never met me before, but when she waited upon the Lord for a prophetic word, the Lord impressed upon her this image, and so she drew it out with these accompanying words. Dear Pastor Anthony, God sees you as strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, a pillar and tower of strength to many. You are capable and you do the heavy lifting, carrying off the weight of others. You are super blessed. So this is a picture of a weight lifter. So I'm not trying to brag here and God knows my heart very well. I do carry quite a heavy load, as uh, not just as PIC, but also at the track and uh, general conference levels. There were so many occasions that I really wanted to quit, but it's precisely prophetic words, prophetic drawings like these that encourage me to persevere, not to give up. They remind me that God is indeed with me and that He knows all my struggles. Now, to be prophetic then doesn't mean that one must always predict the future. To be prophetic in its simplest understanding is simply this, to speak forth a word from the Lord. To be prophetic simply means to speak forth a word from the Lord. You see, in the Bible, prophets and the prophetic gifts play other important functions besides telling the future. It is not just foretelling, F-O-R-E, telling the future. That's what we typically understand it to be, but it is not just that. Let me just give you many other examples and functions. Prophet Samuel, for example, 
He was responsible for anointing kings. If that was his main role, besides hearing from God to guide people, he was responsible to anoint people as a prophet. Then, second example, Moses, perhaps one of the greatest prophets ever. He was not so much known for his prophecies, you know, telling the future, as much as his leading God's people out of slavery and then giving God's people the law. So as God's prophet, his main role was representing God's presence and communicating God's laws to the people, far more than he was telling about the future. But perhaps the greatest role that the prophets played in the Old Testament especially was to rebuke and to warn God's people to turn them away from sin. It has nothing to do with the future so much at all as the present, to turn away from their sin. Just look at the books of Amos, Micah, for example. Much of it is about scolding the people, repent, rebuke them, and then cause them to repent. So uh, that's the key function of the prophetic gift as well, simply to declare what is upon God's heart. And God's heart in the Old Testament was that the people would turn away from their sin. In particular, I want us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 19 to 24, to see how important the prophetic gift is to turn people away from sin. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 19. Word came to Saul, King Saul, that David is in this place called Naioth, Naioth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when this man saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men. And they prophesied too. Quite hilarious, huh? And Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, you know, when you, your man cannot do the work, you as the person, the king, will want to do it yourself. So finally, Saul himself left for Ramah, went to the great cistern at Seku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naioth at Ramah, they said. And so Saul went to Naioth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naioth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. Quite a hilarious episode. And he laid there, the Bible says, laid there naked all day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? And so here we see the Spirit of God using prophecy, so-called the gift of prophecy, to turn wicked people away from sin so that David's life will be spared. So I just want to put it out there that we, the people called Methodists, we were raised by God to spread scriptural holiness across the land. That's the original mission of the Methodists, to spread scriptural holiness across the land. And so if really God has called us to pastor the city, we must necessarily then be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to function in the prophetic gifts, if nothing else, to turn people away from their sins. That's how we sanctify the city, the land, and its people. Now some of you may have heard that the test of prophets is whether their prophecies come to pass or not. And if the prophecies did not come to pass, these false prophets had to be stoned. This idea comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning at verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, and then I jump to verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Verse 20, But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, 
or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. Verse 21, So the people say, You may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? And so the Lord replies, If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed or do not be afraid of him. Now because of this one passage, many have the mistaken understanding that the gift of prophecy is too great a responsibility to steward. But I want to give us three reasons why we don't have to be so worried. Number one, there is a huge difference between the office of a prophet and the spiritual gift of prophecy. The two are not equal at all. The office of a prophet and the gift of prophecy. Just give you a parallel example. All of us know that there is a difference between the office of a pastor and the spiritual gift of pastoring or shepherding. I'm in the office of a pastor, but all the CGLs, all my CGLs, they have the gift of pastoring, of shepherding. So I hold the office, but many people have this gift of shepherding and pastoring. In the same way, not many of us will be called to the office of a prophet. But all of us, if you understand Paul rightly, should desire for the gift of prophecy. So no one is going to be executed in our case because we are not holding the office of a prophet. Second big reason, we now live in a different era. In the Old Testament, because the Holy Spirit did not come upon every believer, it was impossible for them to tell if a prophet was from God or not. The only way is to tell if the prophecies came to pass or not. But now we live in the New Testament era where the Holy Spirit has been given to every believer. And so together as a faith community, as Paul says in verse 29, we are able to discern because of the Holy Spirit in us if a word is from the Lord or not. So what we do at the prayer ministry is to check with each other and to check with the pastors if a word is indeed from the Lord. Either at the prayer and praise service or our healing services, we basically hold each other accountable. And so we provide safe space and accountability to learn, to grow, making true mistakes, to learn how to hear God better and to prophesy better. Third reason why we don't have to be so afraid of making mistakes, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, in fact, the prophets who are more dangerous are not those whose prophecies did not come to pass. Rather, the prophets that are more dangerous are those whose prophecies did come to pass and they begin to draw people away from God. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. Now that prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, redeemed you from the land of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. 
And so if you put these two passages together, Deuteronomy 13 and 18, God's concern, I would say, is weighted more against prophets who presume to speak on God's behalf. That means they did not seek the Lord in prayer. That's why they thought they were hearing a word from the Lord, but they did not hear any word from God at all. But more importantly, prophets who speak in the name of other gods and prophets who turn people away from God. Now, these are the false prophets we need to be wary about. Not so much those who make mistakes and give the wrong prophecy, but really those who so-called are successful. These are the ones actually we should be counterintuitively be more concerned about. In fact, if you look at the New Testament warnings against the false prophets, the warnings are directed to those who primarily teach things contrary to God's word. And then they propagate destructive heresies rather than those who so-called prophesy wrongly. In fact, in the First Corinthians 14 passage, there is no consequence, no negative consequence for those who prophesy wrongly. The community simply had to discern if that prophecy was from God. That's all. There is no further instruction to stone them or to purge the evil from among us. So therefore, as New Testament believers who seek to grow in this spiritual gift of prophecy, let us assure one another that it's okay to learn, to make mistakes as we grow in using this gift. The main thing I mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 13, is to exercise in love. And secondly, always point people to Jesus Christ. As long as we have these two foundations, it's okay. We hear wrongly, we prophesy wrongly, it's okay. That's how we learn to hear God better and to share God's word more accurately. As a matter of fact, if you are so concerned with getting stoned or being executed for getting a prophecy wrong, actually we should be more concerned about disobeying our parents. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 9, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 18 to 21, basically in these two passages, the disobedient and rebellion son is to be stoned. In fact, so it's mentioned twice, whereas Right In the Deuteronomy 13 and 18 passages, the one who prophesies wrongly is only one mention. But disobedient against parents, twice. So we should be more concerned about that because we are far more likely to disobey our parents than to prophesy wrongly. So returning to our First Corinthians 14 passage, we see how the prophetic gift then is so beneficial and useful in pointing people towards Jesus Christ through repentance. Verse 23, Paul writes, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Incidentally, this was very true for me too. When uh, I first joined a charismatic church as a young believer, <clears throat> I was 14, 15 years old at the time. It was my first ever worship service in church and I freaked out when everyone around me started speaking in tongues. So that's uh, my own experience too. Uh, verse 24, <clears throat> but... If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So you see, there is nothing futuristic in this prophetic gift. Rather, as it says here, the secrets of their hearts it means hidden things in the past or in the present. The secrets of their hearts are exposed. Nothing about the future at all. And because prophetic gifts simply speak the truth, whatever comes from God, we declare it. And the spirit is the spirit of truth. Naturally, the unbeliever is forced to acknowledge, hey, look, 
truly God is among you, how else would you know what is in my heart? What is the truth in my heart? And so, I hope it is clear to everyone by now that the gift of prophecy is absolutely useful and beneficial in witnessing to unbelievers. That's why it's so beneficial and helpful. But there is also another reason why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophecy is so desirable because it is so beneficial in building up the body of Christ, not just to witness to unbelievers, but to build up believers. Verse 1 again, Follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then Paul will go on to say, <clears throat> It's good to speak in tongues, it edifies yourself, but it's more important to prophesy because verse 5, he says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Earlier in chapter 12, we have seen that Paul says every spiritual gift is important because they all come from the same Holy Spirit. But here, Paul does make a difference between which is the greater gift. And clearly for Paul, prophecy is the greater gift compared to speaking in tongues. Because... This prophecy, this spiritual gift is a very good and important way to affirm each other of God's love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. Prophecy encourages and builds each other up because it encourages us to focus on God's love. Besides the drawing by Audrey earlier, <clears throat> I've been the grateful recipient of many prophecies over the years. When I first appointed to Amokyo and I doubted if this was indeed God's will, God used Pastor Sean, who is now the pastor in charge at Crystalline, to confirm he gave him a vision that I was in the right place at the right time. When I was discerning whether I should further my studies or not, the prophetic words also came in very timely. In my own prayer meetings, prayer ministry, prayer and praise sessions, I've lost count of the number of times the prophetic word, you know, given through brothers and sisters in Christ, have been so life-giving. And so I'm telling all of you that the gift of prophecy is such a powerful and beneficial gift to the body of Christ. So let us hunger and thirst for it, as Apostle Paul has instructed. And again, God willing, when the COVID situation stabilizes, I hope to bring us through in a practical way this gift of prophecy, this training. So let me just do a quick summary of what I've taught thus far. Prophecy is not so much foretelling, even though it still retains that dimension, but especially in the New Testament era, it is forth telling, F-O-R-T-H. Simply speaking forth what God has deposited in our hearts, in our spirits, through His Holy Spirit. The prophetic gifts, beyond just foretelling the future, have many other aspects, which include anointing people for ministry, communicating God's truth, turning people away from sin, witnessing that God is indeed alive, and five, building up the body of Christ. That is why this gift is so fundamental and so important and so great. Now, time again is not on my side, but it is necessary that I present a framework for interpreting verses 26 to 20, uh, 40 before we end today's sermon. These verses give us several guiding principles when it comes to operating in the spiritual gifts, not just in the gift of prophecy, but in general, the spiritual gifts. Verses 26 to 28 teaches us that tongues... You, during corporate worship, if someone is speaking in a tongue, it requires interpretation. That's why in a worship service, in a typical worship service for everyone, we don't have this segment yet until we are unclear that everyone, at least there's someone with this gift of interpretation of tongues. 
verses 29 to 30, the guiding principle is this. Prophecy requires discernment. The body of Christ needs to discern if that is truly a prophetic word from God or not. Verses 34 to 45 teaches us the principle that questions require submission. There is a proper place and time to ask the right questions so that you do not quench the Spirit of God. Verses 36 to 38 teaches us that for true understanding, it requires humility. And then finally, verses 39 to 40, the passion for the spiritual gifts still require order. So these verses, I believe, advocate a very balanced position. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is, of course, this potential for things to go south, to go awry, right? Totally out of control. But Paul did not throw the baby out of the bathwater. In fact, his summary is found in the last two verses of this chapter. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Very strong words here. Be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That's the summary. That's the hamburger I'm presenting to all of us. The spiritual gifts are important, but it must be exercised in love. But the most important spiritual gift is the gift of prophecy. So if you're keen to grow in this area of the prophetic, to learn to hear God's voice, to speak God's truth, to edify, to build up other believers, the current best platform suited for this purpose is our monthly prayer and praise meetings. Even via Zoom, we try to attune ourselves to God's voice and then begin to pray them out by faith to encourage one another in the Lord. So this is the platform where we can grow together as God's people in the area of prophecy and the prophetic gifts. Our next session is on 16th of June via Zoom. Hope to see as many of you there as possible so we can begin to grow in this area as a body of Christ here in Amokyo Church. So let me close with this final story. Years ago, I had the privilege to be prayed over by Pastor Amos Jayaratnam. If you don't know, this man is considered by many people here in Singapore to have the office of a prophet because of how accurate his prophecies are. So I never met him before, but I had this opportunity to meet him once and he prayed for me. It's scary in some ways because he prophesied many things accurately. Without even knowing me before, he knew exactly what was upon my heart, what, who God made me to be, so and so forth. But he also said something. I see, vaguely, there's a relational issue in your life which you need to look out for. A relational issue in your family which you need to look out for. At the time, I didn't really understand what he was saying. I was thinking maybe, you know, my father, my relationship, my dad, still not perfect. Yes, I've forgiven him. You know, we've grown closer, but because... You know, of the early childhood years, maybe it's still not perfect. Maybe that's the relationship I had to look out for. At the same time, around, around the time also, I was also leading our prayer ministry through our my first prophetic training with them. And a vision of a three-strand cord was given to a group of prayer ministers who prayed for me. At the time, they had no interpretation from the Lord except that picture. But they released to me anyway by faith. We were all learning at the time. I said, it's okay, whatever you receive, you don't need to interpret, you just receive it, just by faith. Unknown to them, when Val and I got married, we didn't light the unity candle. We Instead, we used a three-strand cord to symbolize our marriage. And so when they released that prophetic word, suddenly everything clicked. What Pastor Amos Jarevandam had prophesied about this issue in my life that needed work was actually my marriage with Val. 
It was my marriage which needed be looking into. That was the first year our son was born. Because of my busy schedule, Val felt extremely lonely in her parenting journey. And being the quiet lady that she is, she kept it bottled inside her for a long time until finally one day, she shocked me with her tears, with her many tears. Not long after, Susan Chi, who many of you know, who serves in the VSCS and many other areas in church, she received a vision from the Lord at one of these prophetic training sessions. She told me that the Lord showed her a picture of two goldfish swimming in boiling water. Then she saw the Lord's hand come down and rescue the two fish, the two poor goldfish in boiling water. I thank God for that prophetic word. At the time, I was already aware of the marital issues. I was working on practical ways to strengthen my marital relationship. But when Susan released that prophetic word, I knew God was in the picture. It comforted me. It encouraged me. It assured me. God will help me in my marriage. It wouldn't just be on my human effort alone. Honestly, I'm not sure where my marriage and ministry will be today, if not for all those prophetic words in my life those many years ago. So I want to assure all of us that what 1 Corinthians 14 teaches is so true and fundamental that we need to recapture this spiritual gift for our church, for our lives. Imagine if all our cell groups, our class meetings were so filled with God's Spirit and we were not just holding each other accountable for our spiritual walk, but it is a session that is filled with prophetic words of comfort, of encouragement for each other. So much so that when newcomers join our cell groups, they will be able to testify, wow, God is truly among you. That's the beauty of the gift of prophecy. Let's pray and may God grant us the grace to see that fulfilled in our time. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you once again that you are a loving and generous God. You have given to us your Son. You have given to us your Holy Spirit. And now as we hear the words of 1 Corinthians 14, we know, Lord, that you also desire for us to receive this gift of prophecy. And so, Father, we boldly ask for it. You release again your Holy Spirit upon all of us afresh. Activate the gift of prophecy in us that truly we may edify one another, we may witness to the Lord Jesus Christ more boldly and glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.